How do you define love? I think it's a word that is so often talked about in Christianity that we have maybe forgotten the significance of it just in its purest form. I also think we've spent so much time in the church talking about what it is not that we maybe have forgotten how to properly explain what it actually is beyond just the simple explanations of uh, what love compels us to do as we read 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, but I know we talk a lot about how love is not infatuation, or love is not lust, and love is not just strong like for someone, but love has its own unique properties that make it what it is, and why it is called love. Uh, and we spend a lot of time talking about the different uh, different words that are translated as love from the New Testament, and the original language, but I wonder, can we just simply talk about what love really is, and what it looks like, and how it how it defines the Christian's relationship between us and God. There's a wonderful song by Nat King Cole from, oh, it's been almost 50 years now, uh, entitled L-O-V-E. And the song is simply just him singing about what love is by taking those four letters and making an acrostic out of it. And it's one of his most enduring songs. L is for the way you look at me. O is for the only one I see. V is very, very extraordinary. E is even more than anyone that you adore can love. And then he sings that and then he says, Love is all that I can give to you. Uh, love is more than just a game for two. Two in love can make it. Take my heart and please don't break it. Love was made for me and you. Almost started singing it just then. Well, what is love as we think about it in terms of the Christian's relationship with God? Is love simply a strong affection for someone? Is, it, is love simply just us having a strong infatuation for God? I think love between two people begins that way. It begins with infatuation. Nobody actually falls in love with someone like love at first sight uh, would have us to believe. Falling in love is a very slow process, not a very quick one. Uh, but I think there are some elements of the way people fall in love with each other that we can apply to the way we are supposed to love God. Not just fall in love with God and then what happens after that. No, I mean to maintain a loving relationship with God. You can think about it in terms of, well, in terms of the song that Nat King Cole sang so famously in 1965. L is for the way he looks at me. Now, how does God look at me? He loves me, but how do I know that? I know it because he looks at me with desire. I'm reminded of something that Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. He says, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who would have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. In other words, God wants to save you. God does not want to condemn you. He does not want to punish you. He does not want to expel you from his presence in hell forever. God does not want to do that. What God desires is a, re a relationship with you. Now, it's easy for me to want God in my life because God is God and God is fantastic and God is wonderful and God is full of bountiful blessings. But who am I? I'm not much. And I surely don't have as much to offer God as he has to offer me. And yet, that infinite God desires me. God desires you. God wants you in his life. Isn't that a remarkable idea? He looks at you and he doesn't see a stinking dirty sinner not worthy of his time. He looks at you and he sees someone he wants in his life. L is for the way he looks at me and he looks at me with desire. You know something else? He looks at me with jealousy. Now I'm not allowed to be jealous for things in this world and 
just to be clear, we get the words jealousy and envy really mixed up in our culture. We talk about them as though they're interchangeable words, but they're not. Envy is when you have something that I don't have and I want, and I want what you have because I'm not satisfied with what I don't have, and so I want yours. That's envy. Of course, Christians aren't supposed to be envious because we're supposed to be content with whatever we do or do not have. Be content. Jealousy is a different ballgame, though. Jealousy is if I have it and I don't want you to have it. I want to hold on to it. I don't want to share it. I don't want to split the my, uh, my ownership of it 50-50 with you. I want it all to myself. That's jealousy. I'm not allowed to be jealous for things in this world. And yet God, though, is jealous for me. In fact, he calls himself that. In Exodus chapter 20, as he's introducing the Ten Commandments to Israel, this is what Moses writes, speaking on behalf of God. I, the Lord thy God, I brought you out of Egypt. I uh, brought you out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Don't make unto you any graven images or in the likeness of anything that's in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water below the earth. You should not bow down yourself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. God defines himself and his relationship that he's now beginning with the nation of Israel as one of jealousy. He says, I am not going to share you with someone else. I don't want you making other gods and worshiping other gods and bowing down to other gods because those other gods didn't get you out of Egypt. Those other gods didn't cross the Red Sea with you. Those other gods didn't take you across the Jordan. I saved you. I redeemed you. I made you my own. And he says that to me as well. He says, I saved you. I made you. I want you only. I'm a jealous God, he says. L is for the way he looks at me. And I'm flabbergasted that he would look at me at all. That he would even think to look at me. Especially the fact that he not only looks at me, but he looks at me with jealousy and with a strong desire to have me in his life. But how do I look at him? O is for the only one I see. I only have eyes for him. I only see him. Now I have my wife and I have my children. I have family and friends that I love. My enemies, people in the world. I have a Christian love for them. But God supersedes all. He is the only God that I see. Do you know there are no limits to the amount of gods that you can have in your life? You can have as many gods as you could possibly ever imagine because there is no limit to your imagination. There could be no limit to the number of gods that you can dream up. You can have all the gods in the world and if you look at all the gods that the world offers and you don't like any of them, you can make one up yourself. There's no limit to them. But there is only one true God. Only one true and living God who made you, who wants you, who has eyes for you, and you need to have, I need to have eyes for him. O is for him, the only one I see. Now, how do I see God? He sees me with desire. I see him with desire as well. If you remember at the end of the book of Joshua, as the people are getting ready to really settle into the promised land after all the campaigns of Joshua. They're kind of ready to, to start life properly. Joshua makes a very impassioned plea to them. He says, I'm going to serve the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm going to serve the Lord. Now you need to decide for yourself who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve the, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell? Are you going to serve the gods of the Egyptians where you came from? As for me in my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And the people make this statement in Joshua 24, 16. They say, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. 
Now, if you know your Hebrew history, you know the next book is Judges, and they do just that. They forsake the Lord, they serve other gods, and they are punished for it. But at least here in this moment, they make the right statement. Their heart may not be all in it, but this is the right attitude to have. Our attitude should be to see God only. There are all those other gods we can choose from, but we're not going to pay them any attention because those gods can't do anything for us. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will have eyes only for him. He is the only one, the only God that I see. Now he sees me with desire. I desire him above all. He sees me with jealousy. And you know what? I see him with jealousy too. I have eyes of jealousy from my Lord. Now you think, well, you're not supposed to be jealous. Well, I'm not jealous for my phone. I have possessions of the world I'm not supposed to be jealous over, but my God is greater than the world. My God is the maker of the world. My God says, don't share your allegiance to me with anyone else. I should be 100%. Hold on to me over all else. That sounds like jealousy to me. That I'm not supposed to share God with Satan. I'm not supposed to share the allegiance that I owe God with the world. I look at my Lord and I am wholly devoted to him. That is jealousy in its purest form. The only kind of jealousy I can have. I'm jealous for my Lord. I have him and I don't want to lose him. And I will not part with him for any reason. L is for the way he looks at me. O is for the only one I see. V is very, very extraordinary. This love I have for God is very extraordinarily strong. Now I have a strong loving bond with my family. I have a strong loving bond with my friends even. And I'm supposed to have a, a level of commitment and desire to help even the, the enemies of my myself in the world. But my love for God is greater than all. It is extraordinarily strong. In fact, Paul even makes that the focal point of the end of Romans chapter 8 where he says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? The love that we have for him and he for us is so strong that there is no power or force on heaven, earth, or hell that can break it apart. Who can separate us? Should tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, peril or sword? Look at all the ways that you can be afflicted, hurt, threatened, or killed. They won't shake your faith. Unless you let it, they won't shake your faith. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are like sheep led for the slaughter. I'm not going to let the fact that I may die for Christ stop me from loving Christ. My love for him is too strong to let death come between it, between us. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors. Satan thinks he can conquer my love for Christ. Satan thinks he can beat my love for Christ with persecution or peril or nakedness, famine or sword. But he can't. I have conquered all those things with the God who saved me. I am persuaded, Paul says, that neither death nor life nor angels or principalities or powers or things present or things to come, nor height nor depth nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Tough times will not break my love for him. My love's too strong. The threat of death and even death itself cannot break my love for him. My love's too strong. No angel of heaven, no ruler of this world, no minion of hell is strong enough to pry myself away from my Lord. Our love is too strong. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to him. That's a very, very extraordinarily strong love. It's also an extraordinarily special love. I'm reminded of what Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 8. He says, above all things have, my Bible says, fervent charity, which simply means 
intense love among yourselves have it. For charity, love, shall cover a multitude of sins. Now, does that mean that as long as I'm a really loving person that I can sin and my sins will be taken care of? No. What he means when he says love covers a multitude of sins is all the ways in which I could condemn myself, all the ways in which I could sin and go to hell could be defeated if I would just love. What are the ways in which I could condemn myself? I could uh, sin and not repent. I could be wronged and not forgive when I'm asked to, to forgive. I could uh, stop walking a faithful life with Christ. If I do any of those things, I condemn my soul to hell. But if I love, then I will repent when I sin because I love him more than my sin. If I am wronged by someone and they ask for forgiveness, I will forgive them because I love fellowship more than a grudge. If I uh, turn away from Christ and walk back with him, I will stay faithful and I won't slip back into sin. I'll stay faithful because I love him more than the pleasures of sin that are alluring me. All the things that could condemn my soul would have no effect on me if I just loved. It covers the multitude. The whole gamut of sin is covered by love. It is extraordinarily special, this love that we have, me and my master. And also, it is extraordinarily sacrificial. Because when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely for a righteous man would one die. On occasion for a good man, some might dare to die, but God commends his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now think about that, how much he loved you while you were unlovable, as far as you knew it. While you were unredeemable, as far as you would think of it. He saw you and he said, I can redeem this person. I will redeem this person. I want to redeem this person. I love this person, even in his worst state. If you think about love between two people, it often begins with some kind of physical attraction. It begins because you are, first of all, enticed by their appearance and drawn to them, and then you get to know them and their personality, and you fall in love with them that way. But, I mean, if they're a dog, you know, if they're a troll, if they're really ugly, you're probably not going to make that first move and realize how wonderful their personality is, which is why catfishing is a thing. But my Lord looks at me, and he says, this person is covered in the filth of sin. He is mired in the disgusting acts of iniquity. And yet I love him. That's extraordinarily sacrificial because he loved me so much he was willing to die to make me clean and to make me beautiful spiritually. He loved me when I was ugly and died to make me beautiful. That's a powerful kind of love. Finally, L, it's for the way he looks at me. O, it's for the only one I see. V, it's very, very extraordinary E, is even more than anyone than you adore can love. Which is a very long-winded way of saying, I love you more than anyone else you may adore could ever love you. If you may, you may have eyes for someone else. Well, whoever that other person is, I promise you, they don't love you as much as I do. I love you more than anyone else ever could, in other words. I love you more than anyone else ever will, in other words. And that's what I say to God. I love you more than I'll ever love anyone else. And I will, I will try to love you as much as anyone has ever loved you. That's my goal. I may not reach that goal, but that's going to be my goal. Because I know he looks at me as an individual. And he says, I love that person as much as I could possibly love anyone. And I'm reminded of how much that love is a, com uh, a com complimenting 
kind of love. How it's a love that complements me. He doesn't need me, but I need him. And his love complements me. His love fills in the gaps of the things that I'm missing. His love is a compatible love. In other words, we just fit together. I was made for him. If you recall in Genesis 1, let us make man in our image. He didn't say that about the animals. He didn't say that about the angels. He said it about humanity. He made us to match him, to fit with him, to, to belong to him. It's a completing, complementing, uh, uh, compatible, special kind of love. Any more than you could ever adore anyone else, we love him. Or at least I do. I can't speak for you. Do you love him more than anything else? If you do, if you have that genuine desiring, jealous love for him, where he's the only one that you see, and then you allow that love to blossom to where it is very, very extraordinary, then you'll have eyes for no one else. You'll see no one else. You'll love no one else more than you love him. And if that's the kind of love you have for him, well, then you should already be doing anything for him. And remarkably, he doesn't ask much. He just wants your life. He, he, he just wants you to serve him belong to him and not worry about this world because this world is not your home you'll get out of this world someday and then you'll live with him forever and ever what a beautiful thought that the god who saw us at our lowest point loved us enough to bring us up to his level so we could leave this sinful world belong to his spiritual kingdom and live with him forever and ever amen that's the love that he has for you have a great day And while I've got you on the phone, if you want to subscribe, you can do so by going to anchor.fm slash Matthew-Martin414. I've got uh, free audio files here and there that I'll release every now and then. But for the most part, I put everything behind a massive giant paywall where you have to pay upwards of, I think it's 99 cents a month. So if you can if you can manage that a dollar a month, <clears throat> that's, you know, it's not easy. But if you want to whip out a buck, then you get hundreds of audio files of all of my sermons and classes and devotionals. So it's uh, anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M slash Matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W dash Martin 414 and hit subscribe for a buck and you get all my hundreds and hundreds of audio files. All right. Thank you.